Do not trust anyone. Everyone's out to get you. And for the longest time, I've always, I've always, I never understood that perspective from my parents. Like, why are you telling me that? Well, for them, growing up in a civil war, you know, my mom grew up with, you know, bombs in her, you know, being thrown in her home, you know, and my, and in her home, in her home. Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, she had half her house blown up, um, from this, the civil war. Uh, my dad, you know, fleeing the country, uh, he was a rebel. Hello and welcome back to How Did You Get Here? I'm your host, Rob Drapeau, and this is episode 10. This week I sit down with my good friend, Ryan Ayala, campus minister at St. Mary's Catholic High School, and catch up. I haven't seen him in a while, and he's been trapped at home, just like the rest of us, with this quarantine. Anyway, we have a good conversation, and he's full of surprises, so I think you'll like him. He's one of my favorite people. Enjoy. Hi. Hello, good morning. How are you? Good. How did you get here? <laughs> oh, my face is so big in this picture. Yeah, how did you get here, uh, Ryan Ayala, and who are you? Yeah, well, I uh, I, uh, I rolled out of bed, and I walked over to my backyard, and I'm sitting on a uh, bench here. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you a question? Yes, of course. Uh, so... Uh, I guess I can. I'm the host, right? So um, uh, I find I'm not always uh, – well, when I'm running late, which is not infrequently, um, I find myself scanning the horizon like as I'm driving to work or whatever, looking for reasons to explain my tardiness. And so it would be like, oh, there's a dead cat on the road. Then, and, and Or, you know, like whatever it is, some random thing. And – uh, it's always, um, it's always, it's always, uh, yeah, I, I never use the excuse, but like, I, but if there is, if there happens to be a car accident on the way home, or I mean, on the way to work, I'll be like, well, you know, there's a car accident on the way here, so traffic was slow, you know, uh, but it could be anything, you know, some old lady, you know, dropped her, uh, cans of food by the grocery store on the way here and, uh, you're the good Samaritan. Yeah. Or, I mean, I, I never lie like, like that, but I mean, I could say, well, she slowed traffic down because people weren't sure what was going on, you know, but now it's like, like we we're both late this morning to a meeting 20 feet from our beds, you know? And, uh, last night I'm joking with you about, uh, this is gonna, uh, you know, there's a very good chance I'm going to sleep through this. And so, my alarm went off this morning at, at, at six and, and you know, uh, my alarm, I have it labeled as servium, you know, mm-hmm. in my, in my phone. So like when it goes off, I'm supposed to roll out of bed and kiss the floor. And I haven't done that in years now. And, uh, it's just, they have the name there to make me feel bad. But, um, but this morning I'm like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to wake up early and, and get ready for this thing and, and, and be ready for Ryan. And then at seven o'clock, you know, I'm like, oh crap! It was it was like seven o two because my alarm went off at six, and then again at six twelve or something, and then six twenty two, and the next thing I know, it's like seven o four, and I'm like, oh man! So, but but like there was not enough, you know, toys in the way to my office for me to justify being late, you know. And then you know, what can you say? Like, you know, anyway, that's all. So I guess that was a question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was amazing to be able to like, I mean, to navigate from my room to this backyard was quite the adventure, as you know, because yeah. you have more kids than I do. But uh, man, it was it was quite the 
quite the uh, experience. I, I have more, but I think you have better kids. So your kids are worth like two or three kids each. Uh, so we're almost even. I'm kidding. My kids are wonderful. But my dogs, on the other hand, when I, when I was just starting this, they were going absolutely insane. And so that, and the microphone's pretty sensitive. So it's, there's probably going to be like dogs barking in the background that I can't hear because I've got these things on here. But anyway, uh, and now you have, so how old is your, uh, Zay Lee? You're the second person with the, with the Zay Lee, by the way, the, the other one that I know besides the saint, uh, uh, the saint's sister, but, um, is our producer for the show. His, his oh, daughter's cool. name, Zay Lee. Nice. Great. Yeah. yeah so Zelly is a year and I think three months. Uh, yeah. Something like a year and three months or something, something like that. Uh, and how's Liam doing? Liam is four, and he's uh, he's 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 a four-year-old boy. He's just full of energy. He's full of uh, personality. Um, yeah, that's been quite the experience. Because uh, for some reason in my head, I thought you know, terrible twos was like a real thing, but it actually wasn't. When he was two, it was a fairly easy time. But now, like three and four, it's been it's been quite the experience. Uh, well, the, the non-servium of the. You know, four and a half year old is is a is a real uh, thing. You know, it really is. Yeah. Uh, so I've I've heard that um, I've heard people say that boys are are like girls are easier when they're young, uh, when they're little, and harder when they're teenagers. And boys are harder when they're little boy when they're little, and then easier when they're teenagers. And I found that to be pretty true. Um, I think part of it is that boys kind of export their problems. You know, they bring it to the girls' houses, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. of, the, of the girls they like. But uh, the drama, man, I've, uh, you know, I'm, I've got five. You know, it's like, you know, Eric Westby, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He, he's got five daughters. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, how does he manage with five daughters? And I'm like... I've got five daughters. What the heck? You know, like, like I, I have that many too. And it is nuts, man. I mean, there's just so much craziness, you know, yeah. uh, but that, uh, the drama, uh, is, is, is intense. Um, but no, have, you found, have you found it to be different with each kid? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is kind of weird to say, and I don't even really know how to explain it, but I feel like with my son, Liam, I feel like I, I right now, I feel like I have to, um, Obviously, my love for them is unconditional, right? But I feel like I have to really work on love and on yeah, unconditional. I feel like I have to really be intentional about um, ensuring that I'm loving him in a very con in concrete ways throughout the day. Versus, you know, so I have to practice more patience. I have to be more compassionate. I have to be a great listener, and I have to be attentive to when he speaks. But I feel like for my daughter, it just so, comes so natural. Like just, it's very, just, it's more natural for me. It's, it's just like maybe because she's a girl, and I just, my heart has expanded, you know, yeah, level of size for her. I feel like I just, it just comes more naturally to, to give her my love and be more attentive. But for my son, I feel like it's like my daily, like, all right, here we go. Like, come on, Ryan, let's, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so I, I have a theory about this because I feel the same way, and it's, you know, it's, it's funny because you, you loved your wife. And you thought you could never love another woman. And then that little girl shows up and you're like, Amanda, who, you know, like, like who, who is this person who just completely stole me? But yeah. my, my theory is that, uh, with, 
with boys, we see our, well, uh, with girls, we see our, our wives. So we see like the young version of our wives. And so everything mm -hmm. that we love about our wife, we see in our daughter as, as a young girl. And so we, you know, we kind of long to have that, uh, I mean, if we could, we'd go back and, and see our, our wives when they were little girls and just see how wonderful they are. And, and we would cherish every moment of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, so with little girls, I think the husband or the father sees his wife's, uh, good qualities as a young woman, mm. but with boys, we see our faults as our own faults mm. as a, as a young man, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so like, I, I when I, I struggled for a long time with with my oldest son uh, just we were just constantly butting heads and part of it was every mistake that I've ever made every time I saw him making it I would it would just drive me crazy and, and like he would say you know like well what's the big deal and I'm like you don't get it you know I know I know exactly where this path ends you know and it ends at you know you crying and being a baby you know like uh, oh, you don't know anything, and so it's just—it was frustrating because I saw all my, all my, all my vices and my sons and all all my wife's virtues and my daughters, and it—it's it, actually—it was interesting because I, I, I tended to be—it's—it's it, like pretty negative or pretty like I—I I assumed that I had to be like everything to everybody as a father. And, and that my, um, you know, so, you know, like we, we would watch a movie or something as a family and I have always liked watching or reading like the trivia about movies on IMDb, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so I would, um, I would always read that stuff. And when kids would ask questions about the movie, I would, you know, I would have the answers. And then my, my daughter, Francesca got old enough that she started doing that. And then it got to the point where, like, I'd you know we'd be watching some movie and I'd be about to say something and she would she would say the thing that I was about to say, yeah. and and slowly I stopped being the guy that people went to for information about movies and stuff because we had a human computer, and uh, and then like last night um, we were watching something on TV. By the way, we were watching um, McMillions. Have you seen that? No. No. Um, it's the second uh, most outrageous documentary that I've seen during the uh, uh, the, the quarantine. The first <laughs> one being uh, the Joe Exotic uh, <laughs> Tiger King. Yes. Um, but but the, the McMillions is a really good story. It's all about the the um, the scandal with McDonald's that you know oh. where where the uh, the Monopoly game had been tampered with, and so. Uh, people had uh, scammed the McDonald's out of all these millions of dollars. It was it was really incredible. But yeah, well, let's uh, see that. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, but anyway, we're sitting there watching that, and my son is you know he, he went and made the popcorn. Like, and it's funny because one of the quarantine things, like I, we went to the store, you know, uh, to buy provisions, you know, like Robinson Crusoe for this old. That's why I'm on this island background here on the on the Zoom call. But um, you know, I went to Smart and Final to buy rice and flour. I figured if I bought like a 25 pound or 50 pound bag of flour, we'd we'd be able to, you know, to survive this whole thing. 
and I wanted to get rice because uh, Smart and Final is the only place that had medium grain rice, and I couldn't find it. And so, you know, the store was like it was like it was like Mad Max. You know, it was <laughs> totally desolate, and everything it was like people were crazy. But they had like a thirty-five pound bag of popcorn. So I bought this thing, you know, because I couldn't get any toilet paper or whatever. And um, we love popcorn around here. But now I've, we've got this, like, giant bag of, you know, popcorn. So we have popcorn, like, you know, maybe sometimes twice a day, you know, they're making popcorn. Uh, but last night my son, you know, he sits down and, and he, you know, he had made popcorn. And it's better than I make, you know, and I was, like, the uh -huh. popcorn guy. And so... It was kind of cool that I don't have to be the guy that makes popcorn anymore, but it was also like one more thing that's not mine. That's awesome. The popcorn yeah, I, king. Joseph is the popcorn king. Yeah. That's right. has been dethroned, man. I've been dethroned. Anyway, I should shut up. I'm, I'm such a – I talk too much for a host. You probably found that out last night, but as you were binging oh, I, can hear you talk, well, I can hear you talk all day, man. So can I. So that's, we have so much in common. <laughs> oh. Um, I, have a, I have a little notebook in my Evernote. This is uh, Rob's quotes. I mean, oh. just all, all, all of your wisdom that you've dropped on me in the past six years, I've kept. Um, yeah. What's yeah, the like, What's the one that would embarrass me the most? No, I, I don't want to. No, the one that I share the most with other young men and fathers that I that I still use to this day is um, always assume that your wife, you know, has had a has had a worse day or harder day than than you have. For walking into your into your house, you know, coming home from work, always assume that she's just had a harder day. I mean, that yeah. just always has, uh, man. That that one, that one's that was a good one. Yeah, that's good advice. I have to remind myself <laughs> of that too. Um, I've, I, I, that's not mine. I don't remember where I got it. Probably some Opus Day thing, uh, like bright and cheerful homes. Have I ever shared that with you? I uh, have. Yes, you have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but something. no, literally, it's it's one of those things that I before I walk into my garage door, I stop right before the garage door and I take a deep breath and I remind myself of that little nugget. It doesn't work all the time, but it's it's always it's it's a very good reminder of that. Yeah, I mean, really, my job is easy compared to now that I'm quarantined. I get to taste what my wife has been experiencing for the past four years. Uh, yeah, like, hurting well, cats. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, it's funny. Do you think that uh, people are gonna come out of this thing, uh, like closer to their families, or more likely to uh, serve time? I think it was a shock. I think there was a shock to everyone's system uh, the first two weeks um, of this transition. How I'm feeling is that okay. Now we've we've gotten to routine, uh, and I'm really really starting to love the being here the first two weeks it was rough you know transitioning to this but now i feel like the past week and a half it's been pretty fun to be at home um, in the sense of uh just kind of getting to see my daughter grow up uh, every you know just be with her daily and then see my son his personality personality develop so from my from my end i feel as if i'm i'm going to be more intentional or i'm you know i'm going to yeah, be more intentional about loving my family more or being present to them more. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I can see, I can see people who are like workaholics. Uh, you know, this might not, this might not be, this, this may have been a disastrous time for them. I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think that if you are a workaholic, this, this is, 
this is a time that uh, kind of throws that in your face. You know, like you cannot escape the way because you know the, that's another thing that I heard in terms of like marriage counseling um, or marriage advice. You know, it was that. Uh, so often people get divorced after the kids are raised, you know, and uh, one of the things early on in our marriage, pretty early on anyway, um, that we learned there was a thing called the family diet or some some weird, it had a weird name. And it was a, uh, a plan that my wife had heard about from somebody in a Bible study at St. Thomas or mom's group or something. But it was this thing that this lady in the mom's group had found from the 70s that her mom and dad did. And it was, and when you read it, it reads like one of those uh, chain letters. Do you even know what a chain letter is, by the way? You're pretty yeah, young. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was on the, like, the end of, the end, end of uh, chain letters in my life, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it, has, it had all these like fabulous promises because it said if you, uh, if you follow the family diet, you will have twice, your, twice the money, twice the time, uh, twice the peace and half the anxiety and and your your marriage will grow stronger your kids will become happier and it was like it was like this you know snake oil kind of uh, promise you know but the uh, the thing was you had to do uh, certain things exactly as prescribed and so one of the things you had to do was every Wednesday without fail you had to go on a date with your wife and you had to leave your house at precisely uh, six o'clock. You'd be pulling out of the driveway at six o'clock with your wife, and you had to you had to arrive home at precisely eleven o'clock at night. And so you had this five-hour date, and uh, and you had to do that on Wednesdays and mm-hmm. on Sundays from eleven o'clock in the in the morning to uh, four o'clock in the afternoon. You had to leave your house at 11 o'clock precisely and come back at uh, precisely 4 o'clock in the, uh, in the afternoon. And you had to spend time with your, uh, with your kids and your wife only. No friends were allowed to come along. You couldn't bring any friends. You couldn't bring any of your kids' friends. And you had to have what they called a uh, special Sunday where mm-hmm. you, you had undiv- undivided time with your children. and. Wow. And they said, if you did these things, you would have twice the money, twice the time, twice the peace without fail. Mm-hmm. And so we did it. And it was really uh, amazing because it works, right? Wow. And and the reason it works is because it, it's it's a MacGuffin. Do you know what a MacGuffin is, by the way? I have so much to teach you, young Padawan. Um, <laughs> no, there's a... Uh, so in in, uh, in Alfred Hitchcock movies, he, he has a term... Uh, for the thing that everybody wants, right? You know, so like in the in the early '90s, it was the disc. You know, like you got to get the disc. You know, or in the like in one of the original ones was the Maltese Falcon, right? You know, oh, we got to get the Maltese Falcon, or we got to get the Grail, or we got to get the the Ark, the Lost Ark, or whatever. Yeah. But it's the thing that's making the whole movie move forward. It's the thing that everybody wants, that that everybody thinks is the most important thing, and it really doesn't necessarily matter. Um, you know, if it if it's a, an actual thing or uh, whatever, but it's just it's just the thing that everybody wants that that um, that the the audience accepts as kind of the the thing that moves the the thing forward. And so, in this case, the thing that that you think is the main thing is is following these rules. You know that you're precisely leaving your driveway at you know at 
at six o'clock on on Wednesday nights and eleven o'clock on Sunday mornings. But the thing about it is, while you're doing that, um, you're you're not you're not thinking about uh, the, the way that you normally run things, which is, you know, like in your mind, if you're like me, uh, I think that from the moment I say, let's go to church, uh, you know, to the moment that we're driving away, I think that's two minutes. Right. Mm. Uh, and it's really 15 minutes and you, and I don't know if you've ever timed it, but it's not anywhere near two minutes. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, cause you know, it's like, let's go. And then, you know, sometimes the dad will go wait in the car and then just honk the horn while the wife is, is, uh, getting all the kids. And then he's like all impatient, like, how come you guys can't come? And, but really it's, you know, it's like you start walking out the door. Oh, I forgot my, you know, like for my five and a half year old, it's, oh, I forgot like 20 of my stuffed animals. Like, no, you're not bringing stuffed animals to church. Oh, but they love Jesus. Like, no, you know, and so you have this whole thing back and forth and then, and then, uh, oh, I don't have my shoes or like one kid comes out and he's wearing short shorts, you know, and you're like, you gotta go back, you know? And, uh, then the dog gets out and, you know, so the whole thing is like, it's a much longer production, but if you're, if you're, if you're shooting to get out at exactly 11 o'clock, you know, in order, you know, cause cause that's like the magic number or the magic time. You just you stop focusing on all that other stuff and you start you start realizing, OK, I'm going to I have to I have to you, you kind of subconsciously realize, OK, I've got to I got to get going at like 1045 in order to pull out of the driveway at 11. And so what's what's happening is you're subconsciously or you're unconsciously learning how to manage your time a little bit better. And then the same thing with coming back. So now when you're leaving you're, you're leaving with plenty of time and you're, you're arriving back, you know, you, you, you kind of wrap things up wherever you're at so you can be home by four o'clock and you're subtly teaching yourself how to be on time to things, you know? And so you, you, you think you're doing it because you're, 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 you're like doing the magic uh, spell that's going to give you twice the money, twice the time and twice the peace of mind and all that. But really it, that's what happens is you wind up being better about time. And yeah. the same thing with the money is that, for the first six months, you're supposed to go uh, dinner and a movie with your wife. And that's not negotiable. It's like, you know, for the first six months, you go to dinner, then you go to a movie, and then you come home. And the reason for that is because uh, you forget how to date your wife, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you, you do that so that you don't have to. Because, like, I know when, when we started doing it, my wife's like, oh, let's let's go to, you know, the art walk or let's go to... Um, you know, like the this craft fair. I don't know. She's not, she's not into craft fairs, but you know what I mean. There's always like some girl yeah. version of a date that it, you know guys would be like, "Oh God, I don't want to go." You know, <laughs> but but if it's dinner and a movie, you know, you can do that, and yeah. and the movie is going to make it so you don't have to talk as much. Uh, you you can kind of ease into it again, and so yeah. after after six months when you've been doing it, then you get then you get back into you know any kind of dating that you want, but you have to be back at those times. And so again, that's reinforcing the time element, but, but the reason I'm giving you all that preface is that the thing that was, um, the thing that was really cool about it is marriages break up, uh, be, after the kids leave because 
the, the husband and the wife, that's where the sacrament is, right? It's between the, the man and the woman. And the husband and the wife, they are supposed to, um, uh, they're supposed to love each other uh, and have and hold and all that, you know, all the, all the vows that you make. Uh, they're supposed to be the, the number one people in the sacrament. But what happens is the, uh, the wife um, starts, once you have kids, the wife starts putting all of her time and affection and love and patience and all that stuff that she would normally be giving to the husband. She's, she's pouring it into the kids. And so mm -hmm. the, the, she's, and she's doing it for the sake of the family, you know, like, Oh, I got to take care of the kids. And so then the husband comes home like you do after a long day at work and you want to have some time with your wife or you want to have some, you know, affection from your wife or whatever and she's spent like she doesn't have uh, any more to give because she's just been pouring it out into these little you know rodents that you that you uh, created just kidding they're not rodents um marsupials uh, you know the little the little babies um and so she doesn't have anything to give so she becomes kind of uh distant and or you know like less affectionate or whatever and so the the man starts starting to resent the kids, you know, and starts to feel like, well, why, why do I even bother? Uh, I'll just stay at work, you know? And mm -hmm. so then the, the man goes and he, and he, uh, becomes a workaholic and both, both the husband and the wife justify their behavior by saying it's for the sake of the kids, it's for the family. So the husband says, well, if I, if I work more, then I'll have more money and I'll be able to provide the kids with karate lessons and I'll be able to do all these things for them. And so they make the excuse that it's it's for the kids or it's for the family, but really, where they should be growing together, uh, they're, they're, the kids become a, a reason to grow apart. And then when the kids go away to college, now you now you're married to a stranger, and so that's when these marriages fall apart. You know, so this family diet thing is supposed to fix that. And so it's funny because like again, the MacGuffin part of it is you think, okay, it's why, why do I have to leave at six and come back at 11? Why can't I go like you're a teacher, you know, so your school's out at, you know, three o'clock. Why can't we start our date at four and come back at nine? And that way I can still see the kids. But the, the beauty of the thing is I, I'm probably ruining it for people who want to follow it because, uh, yeah, they should just find out what the beauty of the thing is. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I've talked too much on this stupid podcast. Um, say something right now, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up with the beauty of the thing. You can be my like, my commercial break. Just okay, commercial break. I think what I, I really I really like what you're saying, and you said you said this to me when I was a young, I still am young. I, by the way, I'm 30, but uh, we've known each other since I was 20, 24. Yeah, you got three years to work it all out, and then you get crucified. So you know, get on that. <laughs> It sounds like you, you, you shared this with me when I was when I was just starting the starting marriage off, and I'm really glad you did because one of the things that I'm realizing is really the importance of um, uh, preserving friendship in our marriage. And of course, that may look different. You know, maybe not a date once a week, intentionally going out of the house. It could be, as what you've also said too, this sort of you know roman thrift romancing or romance thrift, whatever. That's, you say. that's Chesterton, the romance of thrift. Yeah, the romance of thrift. And so, um, you know, even if it's like uh, grabbing a bottle of wine, playing Scrabble uh, once the kids are down, um, watching a movie, talking about a show together, but really trying to preserve my friendship with my wife, I think it's been really um, helpful for us to 
yeah, I, you know, just just trying to make sure that we are we we maintain friendship and uh, still show interest in her life. I think I think what you're saying is true. You can get sort of boggled down by the busyness of taking care take care of kids, but um, one of the things that I've I've learned from you and from other awesome husbands is that the importance of really taking interest in your in your spouse and still being interested in their life even after even after marriage. So. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think what I'm really leaving off with this is, or like what I'm learning from is the importance of preserving friendship in marriage. I think it's I think it's huge. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's important to like for me. Uh, I know that 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 resentment towards the kids. I still struggle with it a little bit because, uh, and and you know it's it's funny because my wife is like I I never. I never realized uh, like kind of the, the maternal instinct, how powerful it is until I started working at a school that my kids attended. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, you know, there might be like a teacher or a teacher's aide or something at the school who uh, wrongs my kid, you know, somehow like they, they, my kid gets in trouble, but it really wasn't her fault or his fault or something. And, and, the, the A didn't see something that, that, uh, you know, didn't know the whole story, you know? So my, my kids would complain to my wife and, and well, they would complain to me and my wife and I would be like, you know, get over it. There's stuff you got away with that we didn't catch. You know what I mean? Like in the end, it all balances out, you know, it all balances out, you know? <laughs> and, and for me, it's like no big deal. I'm on the other side of th- things. And I know like, you know, there's a, there's a funny joke that, uh, teachers, say to disarm parents on a, a parent teacher night they say listen if you promise not to believe everything that they say about me i promise not to believe everything they say about you <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> you know because like uh, i remember i remember my my daughter uh, i think it was olivia it was like she's in kindergarten and and something to the effect of my dad plays a guitar while he's going to the bathroom and i'm like that is not information that I, <laughs> I wanted out there you know but um uh but they they uh and anyway so frank from from a teacher's perspective it's like get over it kid you know what i mean like sometimes the teach you know the teachers aren't perfect and it's no big deal but from the mom's perspective it was like no this is an injustice against you know the messiah you know like like you know, I mean, you think it's like like our lady, like this. My son or daughter is a hundred percent righteous, and 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 you know these uh, these people have risen up against them, and so like just to see my my wife's mama bear instinct was was frightening, you know, like oh my gosh, like this is not a rational. I mean, it was it was like post rational, you know what I mean? It was like like it was like I'm 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 taking care of my babies and don't don't f with me, you know, uh, but. Uh, that was that was terrifying. Um, uh, I, I have an open parenthesis, so I, I will go back and, and, and finish my little uh, thing there. But uh, do you know who Deacon uh, James Keating is? Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. hear that talk he gave about the holy hour with your wife? No. Yeah, my favorite, did... One of my favorite books. He's one of my favorite uh, spiritual, contemporary spiritual writers. I mean, I really, really love it. Spousal Prayer, his book on spousal prayer is phenomenal yeah well he's i i i heard him talk at the men's conference and and i've i've been at the men you know i've been going to the men's conference since the beginning and 
you know, I, I'm kind of a snob about it. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily like this guy. He's a little too, too popular. He's not sophisticated enough. Or, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty okay with, you know, popularizers. I feel like I'm a popularizer, you know, myself. But, like, most of the time, the stuff that I would hear there was kind of been there, done that sort of thing. And so, like, you know, I'm there because I like the men that I see and, and the people that I know. And, uh, but he gave a talk once and it was so unbelievably good but it blew my mind and he was saying how and he was talking about the same kind of thing where it's like he was studying to be a deacon I guess and and he was you know doing all these theological studies and his wife said uh we're gonna have you need to be home at at five today so that we can have a happy hour and he's like but honey, I'm studying the Lord, you know, like I, I've got to, I've got to be in, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to tear me away from the, from the Bible, from the sacred, you know, the study of the sacred page or something, you know, like something really you know, lofty. And she's like, just stop messing around when you're there and, you know, make sure that you're here at, at this time. And, and so he tells this whole funny story about how uh, he shows up and he's really kind of angry about it uh, because, you know, she's kind of intruding on him and she's got dinner cooking in the background. And so she pours, um, she pours herself a, a glass of, of wine and she pours him like some, uh, whiskey or something. It's like his favorite drink. And he's like, but I didn't want to be here. So I didn't drink any of it. And I showed her, you know, and so he's like all resentful and stuff. <laughs> and so she just, they wind up being together and she talks for the entire hour and he doesn't say anything because he's going to he's going to prove it to her. And at the end, she's like, oh, OK, well, dinner starts, you know, dinner's ready. It'll be, you know, come eat in like two minutes and and and, uh, you know, see you tomorrow. Same time, you know. So next day he shows up and she's got pretzels out. He's like, and I love pretzels, but I wanted to show her. So I didn't have any, you know, and um, then uh, anyway, then he uh uh, like he, he just, she just talks and talks and talks and just says she feels so great, you know, like she's getting all this stuff off her chest and and then the, the, like the third night he's like and then I had a pretzel and it was good and and then I had a sip of that drink and it was really good, you know and <laughs> and so anyway, but the whole thing is that he starts talking about how uh, he understood as a man like slash theologian how important it was to have look at you see this in the background there yeah. Like, it's Lyle Lovett's face. If it, it, they have to do it like this, then it shows up. Like there he is, Lyle Lovett's face. I love it. Um, nobody has any idea that this is like a video conference, right? So, um, but he understood like the importance of a holy hour. You know, like I'm going to go spend time from the Blessed Sacrament. But he says that that's the second uh, sacrament. You know, like mm. I'm also married and so i have another blessed sacrament that i'm a part of and that is the blessed sacrament of marriage and so this this happy yeah isn't it cool like yeah and so this happy hour with my wife is as important to my spiritual growth and you know it's as as my holy hour with our lord you know like i have to i have to spend time intentionally with the sacrament you know so I just thought that was that blew my mind, and I've been ignoring that advice for a long time and feeling bad about it. So you know, I've grown. <laughs> I used to not feel bad about it, you know. So I think I think this is um, you know, getting back to your original question, how did I get here? I think this is a great 
leeway into into this question because one of the things that I I think several men, including myself, I, I struggle with is is that so my story? How did I get here to my current place in life? But it really starts with my parents' story. So in 1979, they were they were they lived in Nicaragua and they were uh, really caught up in the civil war between the Contras and the Sandinistas. And so uh, my dad, thanks be to God, uh, was granted a political asylum and uh, essentially escaped Nicaragua and moved to New Orleans, where eventually he had um, my brother and I uh, with my with my mom. And so uh, growing up, we grew up in a, in a, in a poor neighborhood in, in New Orleans. And so uh, my parents, you know, coming from fresh off the Civil War, uh, they kind of instilled in my brother and I really two things that, um, looking back on it, you know, I see why they they drilled these two points in our lives. But uh, looking back on it, I spent a lot of time trying to re-educate myself on really the proper view of things. So the first one is really do not trust anyone. You know, do not trust anyone. Everyone's out to get you. And for the longest time, I've always I've always, I never understood that perspective from my parents. What, why are you telling me that? Well, for them, growing up in a civil war, you know, my mom grew up with, you know, bombs in her, you know, being thrown in her home, you know, and my, and in her home, in her home. Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, she had half her house blown up, um, from this, the civil war. Uh, my dad, you know, fleeing the country, uh, he was a rebel essentially in Nicaragua. He, and it wasn't until like 10 years ago that he showed me a newspaper from a Nicaraguan press where he was sort of blacklisted from the country. That's why he was granted political asylum. And so, and then going back to Nicaragua when I was in high school, kind of seeing how they grew up I and mean, it really made sense. But anyways, the first thing is do not trust anyone. So I kind of grew up with my, my I kind of grew up my younger days and uh, with that sort of mentality, sort of, you know, nose to the ground, don't trust anyone. You know, keep your keep your circle close, sort of thing. Um, and the second thing is work hard. So my dad, again, being an immigrant, um, a refugee, he worked over a hundred hours the first few years of our life. So, um, and my mom too, she busted her tail to ensure that my brother and I were provided for. Um, and so they kind of instilled in us a, a workaholic mentality. So the idea of like leisure and and play, those things weren't really um, prevalent in my in my childhood growing up. So. Long story short, my junior year happens. My parents get in divorce. My brother gets into tons of trouble uh, with the law. Uh, Hurricane Katrina happens. I'm now living in Arizona, but Hurricane Katrina happens. And I remember the day before, it was on a Sunday, I asked my parents if I could stay home to watch to watch the news because we still have family in New Orleans. And I wanted, and, and there was talk that this, this hurricane was going to flatten, I mean, it was going to sink New Orleans. And so I stayed home, and I remember watching Katrina. It was on CNN, something so like wait, that. So this is Sunday or like a school day? So it's, this is Monday. So when okay. Hurricane Katrina hit August 13th, I believe, it was on a Monday. And I stayed home, and I, I remember watching the television and uh, seeing the destruction of, of New Orleans. And a place that I grew, I grew up, uh, at least my early childhood, and having really fond memories of my family and school and all my friends. And so that happened that same week, you know, my parents officially uh, divorced. And that same week later on that my brother went to went to jail. I was really brought to a really Whoa, low. Wait, wait, I didn't know that. Your brother went to jail? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah that, that was, that was, I was, I was probably, that was the hardest week of, of my life so far. And uh, yeah, you know, it's like 
there's a is this natural this huge natural disaster you might as well just throw in all this extra bad stuff you know get it all out of the way like yeah. you gotta rip that band-aid of grief off yeah oh. yeah and i was i was really brought to my knees i was really brought to my knees i was really brought to a really dark place i remember one of those nights um i was just, i was just in my room i sort of believed in god um but i didn't really have a relationship with them and i asked i asked him i said lord if you're real why you know why, why is this happening in my life and um and I just kind of felt at peace when I said that, and um, it was basically you know, like uh, whatever I whatever I put you through, I would get you through. It was something like that. Oh, I like that. That sounds that sounds like a Catholic T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like a yeah, it was something very simple. And um, I was still part of my I, you know I had to go to youth group because I had to get my confirmation. So I was going to church and. Um, later on that semester, I ended up going on a retreat and had a very profound experience with the Lord on a retreat. What, what, what year is this? I mean, this is my junior, old, junior, junior in high school, so I was uh, 16, I think. Mm -hmm. Going on a retreat, I had a very profound experience with the Lord. And um, yeah, I, I, I was convicted on this retreat that I wanted to take this seriously. So um, it wasn't until probably a few months later that I started to ask the questions of where did the Bible come from and who started the Catholic church, who founded the Catholic church. And when uh, I discovered, when I found out that um, the Bible came, uh, was, was, was published and produced by the Catholic church and that Jesus Christ founded a church, uh, the Catholic church, uh, I went nuts. I went nuts for Jesus. I went nuts for the church. So my senior year heading into college, I mean, I was, I was on fire for the faith. Um, when you were going to OPH at the time? No, I was at St. John, John Vianney in Goodyear, um, okay. Arizona. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I got involved with the church. I got involved with my youth group. And uh, I started to study study the word more. I started to study church history. I started to uh, teach some classes in apologetics. We would invite our Mormon friends over, Jehovah Witness friends over, and we would try to evangelize and just so, do so right. I, I love that who who would invite them over you and who so there i have a friend i had a friend um he passed away but his name is danny and he he kind of was my like an older mentor for me during the youth group he was like a core leader and he kind of took me under his wings and he really taught me the scriptures um he was on he was a passionate about apologetics and so yeah we would invite people over and uh just sort of have a civil discussion on 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 faith and, and, uh, and did did you win any Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses over? Yeah, the we did not win any Mormons over. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses, most of them were just former Catholics who were very uninformed or ignorant about the faith. So yeah, I mean, after looking at um, church history and uh, asking that question, who started your church? I think there was a there was a few people who kind of uh, came into the church or said, "Oh, I didn't know that. I'm 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 interested." So yeah. Then I am loving, I'm falling in love with the church. I'm falling in love with scripture. I'm falling in love with the priesthood. I'm, I, and and uh, I decide, okay, maybe God's calling me to enter seminary. And so I enter seminary. I was in seminary for two years with the Congregation of Holy Cross at Notre Dame. And um, Wait, did you have Notre, did you have um, uh, Holy Cross Fathers at, at uh, St. John? St. John's? Yeah, yeah, St. John Vianney. Yeah, they're they are they're still they still are a Holy Cross parish. 
Okay. And um, the Holy Cross priest who sort of introduced me to the faith, um, his name is Father Pete McCormick, and he's a chaplain of the University of Notre Dame basketball team. And he's also the director of campus ministry there now. And he's kind of the one who was very instrumental early on in my faith. Um, he played basketball and uh, he was a normal dude and he made the faith really attractive. And so he kind of took, he also took me under his wings and sort of um, taught me the faith and, and all that. And I, I, growing up and into the faith, I was always like, oh, I want to be like this guy. You know, he yeah. loves the Lord. He's a priest. He loves basketball. He's a great preacher. I want to, I want to do this. Yeah. So I entered seminary for two years and uh, it was a wonderful time. Um, you have to understand, I, I, at the time going into seminary, I, I was young, cocky, arrogant, angry, bitter towards my family, towards non-Catholics, towards my family who weren't who aren't Catholic, uh, who left the faith. Um, but spending every day in prayer, uh, especially playing the part in the Magnificat, where he said, you know, where we say, he cast down the, the mighty, pride, from yeah. he scatters the proud in their conceit, praying yeah. that every single day. I mean, yeah. the Lord is just sort of working, working through my bitter, through my heart, just through my bitterness. And um, it was such a wonderful time and the friends that I got to make and all that. So, so, so do you feel like, uh, you know, it's funny because you're like, I'm, so I'm going off to seminary and I'm bitter and angry and you're like, wait a minute, what, you know? Um, but I think I know what you're talking about because it's, it's like, it's like that. I mean, I, I, I imagine like, you know, you know, the apostles, you don't hear much about most of them, you know, but I remember, you know, there's two Simons, right? You have Simon Peter and then you have Simon the Zealot. And uh -huh. that's about all I know about Simon the Zealot, you know, is that he was a zealot, you know, but that that zeal that he had for the Lord uh, that was that was misplaced, right? Because he's expecting uh, a, a, a messianic uh figure to come and be like we're gonna kick Rome's ass we're gonna get we're gonna get those guys out of here we're gonna reassert yeah. ourselves we're gonna be like David you know things are gonna be great we're gonna be the the, the best kingdom on earth and uh, he uh, he finds out to his disappointment and uh, delight eventually right that 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 Jesus is not that kind of a messiah you know that he's gonna come and and he's gonna have his kingdom on earth uh, sorry, his kingdom in in have a kingdom of heaven, uh, not not this earthly kingdom. Yeah, and yeah. and that zeal that that might have inspired him at first to follow this guy has to be transformed into a different kind of zeal for you know for for saving souls and 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 I think that that pattern that you're talking about is you know you fall in love with Jesus and it's such a good thing that you get really pissed at people who don't see what a good thing it is and how foolish it is. And then you get mad at the people who didn't tell you earlier, yes. you know? So it's like, how come, you know, like, why did you keep the secret from me when, when my life is so much better? And then, so it's weird. It's a weird thing. I mean, is that, am I, am I no, describing you, you? You're, you're, you're exactly right. And, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I once heard, I think it was Patrick Madrid or maybe Scott Hahn. One of them said like the, the most dangerous heart is the heart of a convert just because they're, they can, mm. they can kind of just like bulldoze their way through relationships and, 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 and have that zeal and misplaced, have, have a misplaced zeal. Um, and so that was me. And I was early on, I was, I was that kind of, I was, I was that. And, um, 
And did you feel like when I went, I, I, I didn't go to seminary, but I applied uh, for seminary and I was accepted. And, and I just remember when I had my, I mean, I, I started following Jesus when I was really young, you know, um, my, my mom, I, you know, you know my story, but my mom was um, raised as a Pentecostal. And so I was presented at the Pentecostal church uh, mm. as an, as an, as an infant, you know, we weren't baptized there, but we were baptized as Catholics, raised as Catholics, but we had like this side of our family that was like, you know, we love Jesus. That's what we do. Hallelujah. You know? And, uh, um, and so they were Pentecostals. And so I felt like I had a kind of a double whammy, you know, but, um, <laughs> and I, I, I was always in the church, uh, and, and I, you know, I, I love Jesus kind of as my default position, but, um, it wasn't until I was like 13 that I had this encounter with him. And, and that's when I started consciously following Jesus. But when I was like 19, uh, that's when, that's when Jesus and I kind of had, had a come to Jesus meeting, you know, and yeah. actually I had to come to Jesus meeting. He had to come to Rob meeting, you know, <laughs> but, uh, uh, that's when, that's when I realized, okay, um, I'm not in charge of my life, you know, and, but it was it was while I was discerning the priesthood, and I and I was and I was I was telling God I'm like, hey, I'm great, you know, you need to you need to recognize my greatness because I'm willing to give up sex for the kingdom. I'm here, and all these other pussies are, you know, I said that on my own podcast, but all these other <laughs> all these other guys, you know, they they don't want to do it, you know, and so like I'm I'm willing to make myself miserable for you, Jesus, and so you should you should give me credit for that, and and I and I was talking talking to the Father really more than the Son, but. You know, I heard God the Father say, "Never asked, I never asked you to do that. I never asked you to make yourself miserable and make other people miserable." Uh, and it was, and so that was that was hard for me because here I am. I'm thinking that I'm so righteous and so great and and doing this stuff, and nobody else is willing to man up and be a priest. And here I am, and he's like, "I, I didn't ask for that of you, you know." And so that that was a that was a, a revelation, you know, like, okay, so you. What did you ask me? So I'll, I'll, you know, and I think it was, I think it was in the last episode, um, uh, you know, where I, I talked about Abraham and how God says to Abraham, you know, get up, pack up your stuff, and go to the land that I will show you. You know, and that that go to the land that I will show you is crazy because you means start walking, and I'll tell you when to put your stuff down. You know, and um, when you get to the point where you're okay with uh, walking and then letting God tell you when, when you've arrived, that's, that's a, I think a significant moment in your spiritual oh. life, you know, yeah. because, uh, because otherwise, you know, if, like I remember I had it where I was like, I mean, I told God my prayer that summer that I, that I went away to, we, we did a, I was part of a group called Catholic commission, which was kind of like uh, what focus is now, you know, um, way back in the day, it was more like a Catholic version of Campus Crusade, you know. And um, we did the summer at Steubenville, um, where we got to go to the conferences for free, and we worked as ushers, and you know, we'd we'd run people to the airport and stuff, and um, so we we traded work for um, attendance at the conferences. And um, uh, while I was there, I was praying to God. I said, "Okay, Lord, here's here's my plan." you're going to tell me this, this summer while well, I'm, you know, I'm living in community. We're having this, this kind of, uh, life, you know, no TV, um, just living in community with other men and, um, women. 
And I told him, I said, you need to tell me if I'm going to marry Christine or Maria or you, you know, and those are your three choices, Lord, you know, and, and he said, none of the above. And, uh, and, and, and at the end of the summer, I was okay with that. And that's, and that's when I, that's when I really first started to, to, to say, okay, like I'll, I'll give you over the driver's seat, you know, I'll be your co-pilot <laughs> instead of letting you be my co-pilot, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so, uh, all that, cause you were talking about your zeal and you went away for two years. You had these great friendships, yeah. great relationships. And then, yep. Yeah, and then uh, I uh, being at being at the Notre Dame uh, Notre Dame and, and being surrounded by so many different I mean just wonderful wonderful people um, especially wonderful women I found one amazing woman uh, Amanda after 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 leaving and she she really opened up my eyes to a world that I I had really never seen before really experienced before in terms of past relationships and, 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 and we were also blessed to be around a community of married, uh, married couples as well who were living out their faith. And we both got to a point where we were like, yeah, we, we want that. So let's, 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 let's date, let's take this more seriously. And um, yeah, we started dating and yeah, long story short, I want, I, on, on, I also had a huge passion for young people and working for working with the youth. And um, that's something I've just always, I've always, I'm, I've always been comfortable in doing and I've grown to do. And so I uh, decided to be a youth minister at Old PH, Our Lady Perpetual Help in Glendale. And um, Amanda got a job working at Maggie's Place. And so we moved from South Bend to Phoenix. I work there at Old PH for a few years. She's at Maggie's Place. We get married. And then um, the job at St. Mary's opens up. And that has been truly a, a, another blessing in my life uh, being at being at st mary's and um making all the one like all the wonderful friends i i was able to make there you know it's uh, funny because i remember i was i had started at st mary's in uh, 2012 and at the same time i had I'd always wanted to be in a rock band uh and i always told i always told people i said i want i want to or told people i told myself i i, I want to be in a rock band for like six months you know i don't i don't you know, I, I don't have, I don't want to go on the road or anything, you know, uh, I don't, I just, you know, I, I don't really want to be in a rock band, you know, but, but six months would be great. And, uh, my friend Gavin, who's a theology teacher over at, at, uh, at Xavier, yeah. at St. Xavier, yeah, at Xavier. Um, <laughs> he says, Hey Rob, uh, do you want to be in a rock band? I'm like, sure. And so we started this little band called the, um, uh, oh heck, uh, the Incorruptibles, right? Yeah. Uh, so it was, a, it was a band of Catholics that played music. It wasn't a yeah. Catholic. It wasn't a Catholic band, but uh, so we. I, I'm in this band, and I, I meet this guy, uh, Marcos Herrera, who is like is like my brother from another mother. I'm like, oh my god, I love this this person. He's just so wonderful, and yeah. he's like, we like we get together. And he'd be like, hey, Rob, do you mind if I bring my friend Ryan? He's He's a young guy. He's really good. He likes Chesterton too, but he doesn't have any friends, you know. And he's looking for, you know. I'm like, okay, well, I guess so, you know. And so that's how I met you is through Marcos, and uh, I just remember it's funny now because now I think of I used to think of you as Marcos's friend, but now I think of uh, Marcos as your friend. You know what I mean? And I actually, it's kind of switched back now that I, I don't work with you anymore, but. Um, but that's how I met, and he's just telling me this guy's great, and so I'm like, yeah, sure, bring him along, you know. And so I think we were over at his house or something. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but 
that's when I first met you. And I was like, oh, yeah, that guy's cool. You know, and then when the campus ministry position opened at St. Mary's, I was like, oh, that, yeah, this has got to be Ryan. We got to get him in. And then you, you got over there and that was like, it was great. So, yeah, it really St. Mary's is, is I mean, I, growing up in the West Valley um, and having friends that had gone to St. Mary's, I always dreamt of, I mean, St. Mary's was always kind of the, the goal for me. And then, but I know St. Mary's was a little different back when I was in grade school, you know, as it is now. But being at St. Mary's is really, for me, a dream school in terms of, of evangelization because it really, it really uh, takes, you know, its philosophy of education and um, the, the demographic we serve is just, it's really, it's really, it's really my, my bread and butter. It's really what I, what I long for. So I really, I'm really blessed to, to be there, uh, to be there, but I want to make this point. So I started with this idea of my dad and my mother instilling in me, not trusting anyone and working hard. And um, one of the things that I'm learning in marriage and especially being around young fathers and husbands and older fathers and husbands is uh, the really importance of, uh, of, of leisure and, um, and possessing oneself and possessing one's family. And I'm really, my wife and I are really trying to be intentional in ensuring that we possess our families. So what do I mean by that? That is, really trying to do as best as we can to not let the world dictate how we spend time with our family or what sort of traditions we do in our family or how we speak to each other in our family. Um, that's something that I'm, I realize all of the men that I see that I love and admire, they have that sort of possession of family, meaning this is my family. This is how we, this is how we do things and we're going to do as best we can for the sake of the kingdom. Um, and one thing that's very clear is is really the importance of leisure in family, which was not present in my life growing up. And and I see why. I'm not I'm not mad at my mom and dad. I went through that for ten years. I was upset. Why did they instill that? But now I see why it wasn't present in in their life growing up because they were just coming off a civil war. The idea of uh, the idea of not working for a better life is was was foreign to them. So. Um, that's something I've also been really intentional about and trying to be intentional about with Amanda is ensuring we create a, a home of leisure in our house um, as best we can given our circumstances. How did, how did this conviction arise in you? Because it's not common, I think. I mean, I think it's common for, uh, you know, I mean, people talk about leisure in the circles that we run in, you know, at the great books and in liberal education and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't even know outside of those circles that I'm that, that I just mentioned I don't know people who talk about leisure as a thing you know and like and and I know an American and well you know it's funny because that work that work ethic that your parents instilled in you that fits really well with that Protestant work ethic where it's like you know like I remember my mom for example my mom like I mentioned she grew up Pentecostal and and for her she always she always um, uh, she was always she always told my dad, you know, I'm not a Catholic because I'm not rule bound. You know, I don't have all these rules and regulations to my faith. I just love Jesus. But meanwhile, she's not allowed to wear pants or shave her legs or wear makeup or drink alcohol or listen to rock music or go to movies or play cards, you know. And yeah. and, that, and that's like a weird thing is like the the uh, the card playing uh, as as uh, as somehow 
like I, I think I think that the reason that some Protestant sects don't like card playing, I think some of it might be associated with divination, um, you know, like like tarot cards or something. Um, but I think there's this puritanical stream that's like you can't do anything that is not productive and and playing cards is a waste of time and so time is precious and we've got to redeem the time and so you can't you can't you can't play games and then you know like the puritans don't even celebrate christmas they don't want any downtime it's like we're gonna work and and um and i think that that carries over in the united states for uh so many of us you know have kind of adopted this work ethic where it's like we, we have to we have to put in more hours and get more uh more done more things done and be more productive and um and and what you're talking about is is very contrarian very much countercultural you know to say no i'm going to take things slow i'm going to you know i'm going to i'm going to uh, i'm going to have space in my in my day that 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 is um dedicated to more important things that are that are not necessarily productive i don't know can you talk yeah, more about no, it yeah absolutely and that's and that's what i'm that, that's that's kind of what i'm trying to say why it was it's it's been difficult for me and i really kind of spent my entire adult life in marriage um trying to re-educate myself on that worldview because my parents have instilled work 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 um but the the families that i really love and look up to and i love my family and my parents but the families i really want to aspire to be like are the ones who prioritize leisure um and uh um and i think for for us uh what, what leisure means is uh to be present to reality it's really being present to the moment and um and right now the moment is our, is our kids now what's interesting this quarantine i'm not I, I that's been a difficult thing i don't know if for you if it's been difficult but really trying to find leisure in this this time has been very difficult I feel like there's so much what, what do you think the, what do you think the main difficulty is is it is it because you have so much time now free time or is it uh like what uh, I, I think a lot of people when this thing started it was like oh yeah this is great we're gonna we're just gonna binge watch you know the the tiger king uh and and now we're at we're at a point now where it's like well you know how growing up it's like you want like the first day of summer is like, yeah. And Nick, you're just like, I'm going to swim every day and I'm going to play video yeah, games until yeah. two in the morning. And then I'm going to do all this. And then about two or three weeks into summer, you're kind of like, I don't know, you know, and then like the last week of summer, you're like, oh man, I'm going to, you know, you start swimming every day again and, and, and going to the movies and do all these things. And, and you, and like summer becomes precious again. Cause you know, it's ending. Uh, and you're like, oh man, why does summer have to end? But really, there's a huge chunk of summer vacation where you're just bored out of your mind. Yes, you know, and you can't. You've seen every movie, and you're like, I don't, you know. And uh, I think, I think there's, I think there's some. Uh, I think there's another. There's another. Uh, you know, talk about men's conferences. There's another analogy that I heard at one of the men's conferences that I really liked, and I never heard it before. And I, and I. And it wasn't one that I would use all the time, but they were talking about how uh, in the moral life, um, it, the rules are like, uh, I, I don't remember how the analogy works because like I said, it's not one that I adopted, but um, he was talking about how if you don't have the tension on the strings of the violin, you don't have violin music, you know? So you have to keep, 
you have to keep some things a certain way in order in order to have music you know or in order to have the the violin you know and it's like it's like basketball you know i know you love basketball but like if in chesterton says this you know if you if you don't have the rules or the boundaries then you don't have the game so like you know if 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 basketball was just made up as you went along or if, if music was just you know like made up as you went along you wouldn't have um you wouldn't have the thing that you're seeking and so i think when all of a sudden you're faced with all this extra time because you no longer have a commute you no longer have any of that stuff you know at first you can be like oh this is this is great i have limitless time with no boundaries and and you can get kind of excited about it and then all of a sudden you realize oh crap if i don't have a schedule I'm never bathing again, you know, like, like I'm just going to turn into some kind of crusty zombie that, uh, just kind of walk. I mean, I, I was joking with you last night. I said, you know, we'll do this as a video conference and you can see me in all my Saddam Hussein glory. You probably had no idea what I was talking about, but do you remember when they found Saddam Hussein? Uh, and he was in the, he was like in that hole in Iraq. Oh someplace. yeah. 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 And yeah. He had the, he had the, the, the V neck t-shirt and like his hair was all crazy. And like, that's yeah. like, that's what I look like every morning is like, I've been hiding in a hole, you know, in Iraq someplace. And, um, but like if we not having the, the hardscape of the day of like, okay, I've got to get out of the house at, at this time in order to make it to work on time. And I don't have the rhythm, you know, like, like, like we've, we've prayed the Angelus a couple of times, uh, but I keep forgetting that it's noon and, and like, it, and really it's like, with no boundaries, it's like it's like being in outer space. You know what I mean? Like it's mm -hmm. like when when does the day start? When does the day end? You know, it's all. Yeah. Um, so I think that the leisure, uh, without the without the work, is I, I shouldn't say the leisure. The the free time without the without the work makes makes leisure more difficult. And then maybe that's kind of what you were getting at. And I just said it in the longest way possible. So yeah. Also, like, I remember uh, Pope Pius in his encyclical Divini Ilius Magistri, who talks about... I love uh, that you, I, Yeah, I was just reading that the other day. Divini Ilius Magistri. Really? You know. No. I'm oh. laughing because you're know, like, I remember Pope Pius. Like, yeah, like, you know, it's like, you know, Pope Pius, well, you know, I was just reading him, you know, like, yes. Yeah, it's you know, it's well, not a humble brag. I know. You're just, you're funny. Well, <laughs> one of the things that he says that I think... Uh, I've been paying more attention to. He said that there, in order to educate a child well, there there must there must be three societies. That's the family, the church, and you know civil society. And with this quarantine, we've kind of been we've only been reduced to uh, the family. Right? There's no parish life. There's no civil. I mean, we're not. We can't go to the libraries. We can't go to the park. We can't go to the movies. We we can't do those things. So I feel like I feel like this part of yeah i feel like we're not getting i i really I, hard to get that full experience there. yeah it's interesting i i really am like my, my wife has said a couple times that driving around phoenix now feels like you're in a small town because yeah. there's no traffic and there's and it's just so easy to get around and then when you go to the store there there's people there and they're but they're nice you know and everybody's kind of in the same situation i mentioned I think it was again in the last episode that I did that that I, I used to think that the only thing that was going to unite the world was an alien invasion. You know, like if if this alien invasion comes, then we're all humans. You know, uh, and 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 not not 
Americans and Russians and Chinese and Italians or whatever, but just humans, you know, and having having this common experience right now with with people all over the planet. To me, that's like a this is a precious moment that we now have something in common with with people we had nothing in common with before. And and to me, it seems like that's a wasted opportunity if we don't if we don't use that uh, as a uh, as a way of kind of understanding the common humanity that we share with other people. And um, and I I I am I tend to be more of an optimist anyway. But like I think that I'm seeing uh, people uh, being. Um, uh, uh, take, I think I think I'm see like like social media for me. I, I I've been fed up with it a lot recently. One of the reasons I started this podcast actually was because I was sick and tired of of people cursing the darkness all the time. And like on social media, it was this all like oh the Pope sucks and and, oh, and you know and like all the stuff. And it's like no, you know what? But now I'm seeing social media being used. Uh, in a way that's actually social in a way that's uniting people and some of it are you know there's a lot of stupid missteps and there's and it's it's interesting because like <clears throat> excuse me um there are things like like people people are uh they're trying they're they're they're, they're trying to figure out what the right tool is you know like to to make sense of the world and so you have like um you, you know you have these memes that are like, do you remember when when Pope Francis um, first was elected, and people didn't know who he was, and nobody knew who he was at all, and so we're like, who is this guy Bergoglio, you know? And yeah. and then there were, all of a sudden there were all these memes that 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 came out, and one of them that that you saw a lot, and you don't see anymore, is um, there's the one that was like the three popes, and it, it was like John Paul is uh, yeah. uh, is like philosopher, yeah, but it was it, it said like. Um, it was I forget what it was. It was something like, uh, "Here, here's the theory, um, uh, like here's the philosophy, and then and then uh, Benedict was here's the theology, yeah, and yeah. then and then Francis was here's the lived lived reality, you know, and and that's not what it was because it was a little more pithy than that, yeah, but yeah. it was like, you know, what it should look like, how it should be lived, and how to do it or whatever. I forget, but you don't you don't see that meme anymore now, right? Like. But do you remember? You remember the one I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah, I do. About. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and people are like, yeah, that's it, that's it. And and when you see something like that, like when I saw that, I'm like, I don't think this is right. I don't. I don't. It, it sounds like somebody is trying to reduce this this uh, novel experience into a, a soundbite, you know? Because we're so we, we 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 just have to have sound bites, and so. Um, now you know people like there are people that uh, that were catholic you know like we uh, we love the pope and we love uh, you know we love John Paul II and we love Benedict and and you know if you don't like if you don't like the pope you're not catholic and a lot of those same people are like this pope sucks he's evil he's wicked you know and I'm like wait a minute what happened to you know if you don't like the pope you're not and I and I get that you don't have to like the pope you know whatever but uh, you do have to love him um, and obey him but um but that whole that 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 attempt at at making sense of things with a with a meme um i i've seen that now too you know where people are like you know like they do like stupid like parodies of like of of 
you know, like people holding up a, a drugstore and stealing the toilet paper or, or somebody like offering, you know, using toilet paper as currency, you know, it's like, oh, that's like, that's one joke that we're going to make a lot. And it's not funny, you know, and then there's, there's other, there's other attempts to try to make things funny. I'm babbling at this point, but, but anyway, so there's, there's a lot of missteps on social media is what I'm saying, yeah, yeah. but there's also some stuff that is just actual, like people, uh, you know, like, like zoom, you know, has taken off, but there, there are people now that like my sister got married on zoom, you know, and like we had people all over the country at this wedding. Uh, and that's something that might not have happened in the past, or even like, you know, I think that the online masses have been really, uh, pretty powerful to, to, um, remind us how united we are with people, across the country, across the world, you know, like, like we're, oh, there's all these people at home right now watching the same mass. Like I, I, I didn't have a, a sense of that when I was going to mass, you know, uh, most of the time you go to mass and it's like, like, I mean, I was, I was joking, you know, what, 30 minutes ago, we were talking about leaving for mass. And I remember, I remember at one point, and I've told you this before too, but like, I remember at one point when I was probably your age with kids, your age, I was like, <laughs> why how come i'm never late to the movies like i'm never i i I arrive at the movies in plenty of time to see the previews like why do i love hollywood more than jesus like what what's the deal and i I was like i would joke with father john he'd be like you know if you serve popcorn and and showed previews you know maybe we'd all get here on time you know uh but but the, the fact is you know the devil's not trying to stop you from going to the movies you know and so that's why the dog gets out right then and and there's been so many times when i'm like the the least holy moment of the entire week is like the five minutes before arriving at mass because I'm like you you little brats you know you, I can't believe it you know you we're gonna love Jesus God damn it you know and, uh, and then at the you, know, you go to mass and you're like steaming at everybody and then at the end of mass it's like oh okay I needed that Lord you know and then you yeah. come back and you're like you, you love you love the world again you know you're willing to endure it yeah um, but anyway I I'm hoping that that uh, that this this removal from civil society, like you were talking about, um, is like an absence that makes the heart grow fonder, you know? Because it yeah. could be that we come back and because because the world was insane, right? I mean, like it was like I just like I I just I'd wake up every morning and I go I cannot believe that we're talking about this stuff, you know? It's like 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 I just remember telling somebody, you know one of my favorite bits in, in, um, uh, Monty Python is the, is in, um, the life of Brian where the one guy's going, you know, we have to fight for every, you know, the right of every man. And, and the one guy's going, Oh, woman, you know, and do you, do you know that, you know, the bit that yeah, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, so they go, they go through, it's like, why are you always going on about women? And he says, I want to be one. And everybody looks at him like, what? And he says, I want to be one. In fact, call me Loretta. It's like, call me Loretta, you know, and, and the, and the, you know, Michael Palin or I don't know who it was. Uh, uh, one of the, one of the guys says, uh, you, you, you're not a woman. He says, I says, but I have the right to have children. And he says, well, you can't have a child. You, you don't have a womb. He said, where's the bloody thing in a gestate in a yeah. box. And, and it's like super funny. Right. But it's not funny anymore because we live in a world where people take that other position seriously. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the world is mad. I mean, it's it's like so bananas. And and now 
it's it's kind of a shock, and it's a shock to the system of you know what. Like, and I think Father, did you did you listen to Father Bolding's homily on Easter by any chance? No. Uh, he was talking about this, and this is the other thing that I that I think too is that I remember after nine eleven, man, American flags were everywhere, churches were full, people were like. Uh, this is never, we're never going to be the same. You know, we're, we're never going to be the same. And that just wasn't true. You know, that was like, it, it lasted for a little bit. And he said that, that the priest that he knew at the time, they said that people showed up at church, churches were packed for like three months, and then, then gradually people got back to normal. And, and I remember uh, President Bush saying, you know, the way that we fight back is to go and spend money you know, in the, in buy things, you know, so we can get the economy re-stimulated. And I'm like another missed opportunity, you know, and, yeah. and sure, and sure enough, you know, like that, that moment, it, uh, we, we got, we got back to living the way that we were living before and worse pretty quickly. And then Katrina, you know what I mean? It's like Katrina happens and the whole world is sympathetic. We all feel for new Orleans and, and like, you know, no, nobody, nobody says, why the hell didn't you fix the levees when it wasn't a problem? You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah. You should, you, you, there's bad management down there, you know? Yeah. And then, and then now with this COVID-19 thing, they, they, they go ahead with Mardi Gras and, and everybody's like in the streets, like, yeah, I know, you know, we're immortal. Yeah, no, you're not. Don't you remember from like 10 minutes ago when the whole freaking city was underwater and, oh, yeah. uh, but you know, we, we have short memories. So, yeah. uh, I, I think the world, uh, will definitely, be the same. I, I was thinking of, um, you know, the, all the battlefields. We just watched that movie, nineteen seventeen. Have you seen that? Oh, no, I haven't. Is it is it on uh, on Netflix or something? Every, yeah, it's, it's not on Netflix. It's but it's streaming because everything's streaming now. But um, uh, you can get it at Redbox or you can get it, you know, Amazon Prime or whatever. You can rent it for like five bucks or oh, okay. know, Red, Redbox. It's two bucks now. But it's a it's a it's a good movie. Um, but you know, World War One just tore up the landscape of of these countries with the trenches and the barbed wire and everything. But if you go there now, it's just green fields, you know, and like all the all these battlefields that you know, like you go to Gettysburg or something, it's it's not it doesn't look like a war zone anymore, you know, and, and uh the grass comes back and then somebody's gotta mow it, you know, and life goes on, you know, and so like like these things that you think are so horrible and no one will ever recover from people recover from, and then they forget, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, so were you, were you finished talking about leisure? Because, uh, um, I, I, I think that, I think that's a, it's a really good, uh, I think that's a good insight and a good, a good thing for you to be concerned about as a, as a husband and father. And I, and I, and I, I'm just going to throw this out here because I love hearing myself talk and <laughs> Me too. Uh, I love my, uh, my analogies, but I was thinking like, I always, I always tell, uh, when I'm, when I'm talking about, uh, the difference between how God sees time and how man sees time, I use this, this, um, explanation. I say, uh, you know, cause I'll be in a room, you know, and there'll be a picture of like mother Teresa or something in the room. Uh, and I'll say, okay. Uh, I want you to look at that picture, you know, so everybody looks at that picture and they say, okay, in a minute, in an instant, you see that that's a picture of mother Teresa. You see that it's balanced, proportionate, radiant, all, you know, that it's a beautiful picture of, of mother Teresa. And you saw all that like that. But when it comes to music, 
you know, you can you can see a, a, the entire score of like the you know Beethoven's Fifth Symphony or something if you have all the papers laid out. But when you look at it and see all those dots on on lines, um, you don't have a sense of 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 the drama of that of that musical piece. You have to start at the beginning and and go all the way through till you get to the end. And at the end, then you can say, oh, okay, this is this was a beautiful piece of work, you know. And I, and I and there's a there's a song uh, by Pat Metheny called Two Folk Songs. And I made my kids listen to it on the way back from uh, Flagstaff and my wife, you know, and, and so it's kind of like this uh, jazz music. And there's there's a there's a part. I mean, the, the song is I love it because my friends have, have um, they loved it. And I, they told me how great it was. And so I'm like, oh, yes, this is great. So I listened to it until I loved it, you know. But there uh there's there's a, a theme that gets played in the beginning and then it gets because it's jazz you know so there's this theme that's played to be at the beginning and it gets built on by the other instruments and then as uh as the song goes on it's, it's like a 15 minute song it's well it's two folk songs right uh it starts to be deconstructed you know and so like he starts to like the the, the saxophone player starts playing like five out of the six notes of that theme or or or, or a little bit less and he gets to the point where it's it's basically almost unrecognizable and and, and he's and he's broken down this thing he's just kind of ad-libbing and you think that's it the song doesn't exist anymore what happened to it you know and and as soon as you get as far away from that that musical theme as you can imagine it starts to come back you know and all of a sudden you know he starts building back up and then you can hear it again and then it resolves and so when you're when when my wife and kids are hearing it and they're hearing like all these like like sharps and flats and notes that don't fit in the scale that they're supposed to be listening for they're like this is noise this isn't this isn't music you know mm-hmm. i'm like no man you gotta wait till you get to the end and he pulls it back and isn't that great and they they didn't appreciate that but mm-hmm. uh, i think with music there's that kind of drama there's like wait what's going on here like like how how that's a weird that's a weird turn for this music to take. Like, why did it go? What did it zag instead of zig? You know, yeah. and and at the end, then you can you can pass judgment on it. Yeah. But but I you know I was told I was tell people I said look you could take every note that was played in that entire song, and play it at once. You know, you play it all at the same time, and and that is not music. That's not a song, right? That's not. That's just that's just a sound. It's noise, right? And the music comes from the space between the notes, right? Uh, and so if, you, if there's a little space between the notes, then the music is fast and things are going. Um, but if you have longer space, it's a more uh, relaxed feel. But what you're talking about basically, you know, with this leisure is you're talking about putting space between the notes of your, of your life, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. how you make, that's how you make the music you know, you make your song, the song of your life, if you will, beautiful by, by intentionally putting in this, this, this space where you have time for reflection, time for, um, for just being instead of doing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you like that analogy? I like that. That was beautiful. Yeah. That's thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see how much time we've got going on here. I, I did want to, I, I know I have one open parentheses because I never finished talking about that um uh the the family diet thing and the thing the thing i i I wanted to say about it was the one that the one part that really 
intrigued me was the 11 o'clock. Why, why do I have to come back so late? I'm, I'm, I get tired now. And then now that I'm, I'm, I'm in my late forties, I, I, I was, I was drooling, you know, at nine 30, I'd just be like, you know, I'd sit on the couch and just like fall asleep and like have to wipe my face off. Um, uh, but the, the 11 o'clock kind of surprised me. And the thing about that whole program that was so cool was that basically by, by, by making the man start at five, you know, or, or, or sorry, the, 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 the date start at six o'clock, the man has to leave work early enough to make it home, change his clothes, get dressed, shave again, whatever, so that he can, so that he can start the date, you know? Um, and so you started at six. That means you got to, you have to plan ahead of time to, for the husband to leave, leave his work so that he can be with his wife. But by coming home at 11, that means that the mother has to have, uh, not be the one who's putting the kids to sleep because you, you're leaving at five o'clock, then the babysitter or the kids themselves, they have to be, uh, they have to go to bed without mom. And so that makes the kids grow in the sense that now they, they learn how to put themselves to sleep and they, and they separate that bond between mom and dad. I mean, sorry, between mom and, and the kid where, because like for me, and this is something that, you know, I talk about the resentment and the bitterness, like my wife would go to, like, I, I would sit there, I've watched so much crappy TV uh, because I've been waiting for my wife to come watch the show that we're, we're watching together. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'd be at 8.30 is the official bedtime for little the littles and, uh, you know, 8.30, okay, it's time for bed. We go, we, we try to send them to bed and then it, all this drama happens and then, oh, can you come check on me every one minute? Can you do this? And and my wife obliged them. And so, like, it's like 9.30, 9.45, 10 o'clock before she sits down next to me. And at that point, I'm frustrated because the kids can't just go to bed and and then I'm exhausted, you know. And if I had any, if I had any like any idea of something happening after uh, binge watching, the, the the chill part of Netflix and chill, I guess uh, that's that's kind of out the window, you know. Um, so then, I, of course, you you come to resent the kids a little more. Um, but by by being out past their bedtime, uh, that that breaks that unhealthy reliance on mom for bedtime, and so so the 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 thing that separates the kids, I mean, the, the, the husband and the wife by that, by that Wednesday night date, it, it, it separates the husband from his mistress, which is work. And it separates, um, mm-hmm. the, the wife from her mistress, which is, uh, the kids and, and it forces them back together as a couple. And, and the thing about it is the kids who might object at first and they do, they they learn to deal with it because they know that on Sunday they have mom and dad's undivided attention, and mm-hmm. so that that helps them to um, delay gratification, and it, it teaches them that, that that's going to happen. But that also happens to moms and dads too, because I don't know about you, but I buy a bunch of food at the grocery store, and then uh, don't eat it. You know, we wind up not cooking it, so we have like you know. Uh, vegetables that just go bad in the fridge because you know we're so tired at night we're like oh we'll just pick up some mcdonald's or oh we'll pick up a pizza and so you start spending money and especially like on fridays you know you're like ah just i don't feel like cooking we'll just we'll 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 just pick something up but you do that a lot and the next thing you know your money's all gone uh and 
And if you know that you have a date on Wednesday night where you're going to go to a restaurant, the wife uh, or whoever is making the dinner, you know, usually will say, well, I don't, I don't, I can make dinner tonight, you know, cause I'm, I know I'm going out tomorrow, so I don't want to spend tonight, but that's the secret, right? So that's how, that's how mm-hmm. you wind up because the things that stress you out in a marriage are, are time, you know, like, like time management and getting, getting places on time uh, and money. Right. And so if you, if you learn how to manage your time and get out of there and get back on time, uh, that stress of, of being in a hurry all the time goes away. So now you have more time because you're more intentional about your time and you're not rushing everywhere. Uh, and then you have more money because you're not spending it with mindlessly anymore. You're saying, okay, I have to have money for Wednesday and I have to have some money for Sunday. And so now you're, you're, you're actually keeping it. But it, but all this happens kind of unconsciously because you're chasing that MacGuffin of the rules of this this thing. Huh. But but by doing those things, you wind up with um, you wind up being having twice as much time, twice as much money, and being twice as happy because now um, the kids and and the dad aren't in, comp- in competition for the mom's affection, mm. and the and um, the mom. Uh, in, and the work aren't in competition for, for dad's attention. Uh, and um, it winds up being a really good thing. So, That's um, yeah. That's All right. So last question. And oh, oh man, I, sorry. I'm going to tell you quickly because this is our 10th episode. So I had this whole thing last night. I'm like, okay, I've got to do this stuff with Ryan. Like I'm going to talk about how he's, he's uh, Ryan X because he's the 10th, you know, and <laughs> And uh, have you ever heard that joke about how uh, the uh, the uh, the Nation of Islam and the Catholics, um, like the, the the minister from the Nation of Islam and the and the and the Catholic priest, they they met and they they're like, oh, uh, the, the priest is like, you know, we, I really respect you guys. And he's like, why is that? And he goes, well, because you know we've got Pius the tenth, and you've been reading his stuff, uh, and you've got Malcolm the tenth, you know. Malcolm X. Yeah. Yeah. It's not funny, but, um, uh, anyway, so I was going to make jokes about that because you're number 10, you're Ryan X. Uh, and then I didn't get a chance to do that. Um, and then I was also going to ask you how long you've been a Mexican, uh, because, uh, if you're like me, uh, you're a Mexican. If you're, if you're like, in like, like you actually, because you're in new Orleans, you might've been a Puerto Rican for a little while, because if you go, if you go back East, you're a Puerto Rican or a Cuban, you know, if you're too far South, you might've been Cuban. I don't know, (laughs) but but it doesn't matter if you're Brown and speak Spanish and in Arizona, you're Mexican, you know? (laughs) And, uh, my wife, my wife, sorry, my wife, I do that. I that's just, that's just too Freudian. Um, my daughter, uh, like I'm glad she doesn't listen to the podcast because if I if I mention this she'll get mad. But she's dating uh, a Puerto Rican guy. Oh, and um and uh she said she said to me the other day, uh somebody called him a really bad Puerto Rican racial slur, and I said what's that? And he, and she said they called him a wetback, and I said that is that's not a Puerto Rican racial slur. Like what are you talking about? And it's like. Like, that's that's a Mexican racial slur. So that that person is ignorant for being a racist, but also ignorant of how to insult you know people that you don't like. Because <laughs> I, I got called a wetback when I was a, a kid, and I told somebody I was Puerto Rican, and and I'm like, buddy, it's a hell of a swim from Puerto Rico to to Phoenix. You know, like like you're you're a wetback because you crossed the Rio Grande. You know, that's yeah. what, that's where that expression comes from. It's for Mexicans. You know, um, and. Uh, 
anyway, so my my daughter didn't know that her boyfriend wasn't being, uh, and he was being uh, treated, you know, so racist was was taunting him, but he wasn't a Puerto Rican taunt, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, and then to, and the other thing too that I wanted to make sure that I got out of you was uh, talking because I it's funny because I like like I always tease you uh, like that I don't remember what country you're from, you know, because. Uh, I don't know if you remember that I always tease you about this, but yeah, I'm always yeah. like, oh, Honduras or Honduras Guatemala. Yeah. Um, so Nicaragua. But I remember like, I'm like, okay, at some point I have to talk, I have to get Ryan to explain how his mom knows how to take apart a machine gun. Uh, because I remember that's one of the things you said something about your mom at the machine gun. And, yeah. and, and I, and I'm like, that is just, that's a, that's, it's so not your, your Catholic <laughs> high school, you know, campus minister it's not, not a typical story oh you know maybe, maybe in ireland i don't know but uh uh you know anyway so you you did that you talked about your your mom having bombs thrown in her house and yeah and that oh it was, part, it was part of her schooling too when she was in nicaragua she went to a catholic school she belonged to a school called bosco uh bosco. saint john bosco yes yeah, something in, in, in a city called messiah and that was part of her it was part of her class was to assemble and disassemble um Guns, machine so, guns. Yeah, Our Lady of uh, the uh, automatic—I don't know—perpetual <laughs> yeah. uh, bullets. I don't. Um, the other thing uh, that struck me about what you're talking about ha- having a parents who are instilling this this crazy work ethic. How how is that? And this is this is probably a longer conversation. That I have I have to be at work in like seven minutes, so. Um, I'm so happy I can say that, but, um, uh, you know, you have such a, an affinity and affection for, uh, Jose Maria Scriva and, and Opus Dei where work is the, is the charism, right? I mean, that's like, like the idea of turning ordinary work into, um, a prayer. Yeah. Uh, how was that, was that a weird, uh, cause it's, it sounds to me a little bit like what I was saying earlier about Simon the zealot, you know, where you have this thing that is driving you and it's not the thing that should be driving you. But, but when you encounter Christ, that energy, that thing can be baptized and transformed and made into something that is the thing that you're supposed to be driving, that is supposed to be driving you. And is that what happened with you? Yes. That's exactly, yes, that's exactly what happened with me. Um, I don't know. There's one, uh, my friend, uh, is, is a, uh, Numerary, supernumerary in Opus Dei, and we were talking about this other other day. And he was telling me one of the char- uh, charisms of Opus Dei spirituality is secularity, right? This idea that um, you can live out your Catholic faith uh, in 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 public life and civil life uh, in a very concrete and or sorry, in a very hidden way. Um, but one of the things that I think for me that really stuck out that stands out to me in terms of Escrivas spirituality of Escriva is this idea of um, glorifying God through the, through all things, but primarily through the, the, the small things, the little things. So um, I don't know. That's what I walk away with. And I think when I think about Escriva spirituality is to consecrate or try to baptize all things that I, that I do. And I try to do, I mean, my work. So I don't know. Yeah, don't And know. you have to do it anyway. So why not? Yeah. And, and it's funny because like for me, this, it, it, for me, Opus Dei fits naturally with uh, with the Jesuit education that I received, um, because the, their, their motto was um, 
AMDG, you know, Ad Majorum Dei Gloriam. Do you, did I tell you that I used to think that that was um, give God the majority of the glory? Oh. <laughs> like, I, thought, I thought, I'll keep a little for myself, you know. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. You know, it's like, you know. God, the majority of the glory. Yeah, I, I took Spanish, not Latin, uh, in high school, but um, I know better now. But but the Opus Dei stuff fits right in with that. You know, it's like I can do whatever, whatever I do, I can do it. For, I mean, it's like uh, Colossians 3.23, you know, whatever you do, do is unto the Lord, you know, and, um, so I, I love that, uh, for that reason. Um, another thing I was going to ask you about, I, I didn't realize that the Andre house here in town, uh, was named after Andre Bissett. Um, and you have a special love for Andre Bissett, but I imagine it comes from that experience you had with the Holy Cross fathers because they, they were the ones running Andre house. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're the ones who named it. Um, I remember father Mike Baxter. I think he was one of the founders of, of Andre house. Are you smiling because, uh, you know him or. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Is he still a priest by the way? I don't know. Uh, no, he, uh, no, he's not. Yeah. Uh, he, that's he, a, lives, he lives in South Bend and he's, and he's, uh, pretty active in the Catholic worker movement down okay. up there. Mid, mid, yeah. There. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, that's how I found out about Andre House uh, originally. Or I mean that and, and through uh, the Brophy where I was going to high school. I think we used to go there sometimes. But yeah. um, And you know that my neighbor is Andre Bissett's yeah. grand niece, <laughs> which is really cool. I got to get her on the show, but um, she's I'm not sure if she'll go for it. But you have, um, as, as the world's um, uh, most... Uh, I, I want to say worst host, but that's 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 bragging and uh, self-deprecating. So, as the uh, as the host with the most room for improvement, uh, uh, I've left you like one minute to answer that last question. Like, if if there's a when when um, when a hundred years from now someone walks into Saint uh, Ryan Ayala Catholic Church, if that church is animated by your your spirit and your spirituality. What what what's the what does the character of that church look like? Like what are the how does that how does that parish community live out its its uh, its faith? Whoa. Um, I'm sorry. I I'm, that's a. Are you asking me like what? Yes. Okay. Um, man, that's a hard one. This is great radio, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, John Paul II talked about talks about how the parish has to be the wellspring of the village, and I really, when I think about uh, an ideal parish, I think about a parish that is um, serving its its local community, its its neighborhood, and so. I really want, I like, I dream of a parish neighborhood, uh, a parish that's really at the center of the neighborhood and providing and evangelizing those in the neighborhood. So I, I don't know if that's a charism, uh, but I definitely want, if there's a parish named after me, I want that parish to ensure that those around its surrounding areas are being evangelized and attended to. You know, I think a parish does a really great job at doing that is uh, St. Tim's in Mesa. Mm that community, that neighborhood that's surrounded by it 
Father is real, and Old PH and Glendale as well. I mean, those those parishes are neighborhood parishes, and it seems like everything revolves around those. That that neighborhood revolves around those parishes, and so um, I really, I really just want to ensure that they are the wellspring of that village of their village there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, I have a friend who's an architect, and he he talks about how in the old days um, the church was always the the biggest building in the city or in the town and so then the the plaza was built right around the church um and it was the focus literally of the of the town and of the community um but but now you know i I remember when um they built that new convention center downtown and it totally eclipsed saint mary's basilica and it's like mm, uh but yeah that's that's good and i and i think um i i think that uh I think there's, there's, I think there's certainly in your generation in particular, uh, a movement towards smaller communities. Um, you know, like, you know, I tease you all the time about being a millennial and I haven't once until this moment brought up mason jars. Um, but, uh, you know, AirPods. I, I, oh, you have your AirPods. That's good. Um, but you know, I think, I think in your, in your parish church, all the, uh, the, the chrism and the, and the sacred oils will be in mason jars. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I think that, that, that hunger, you know, especially like, you know, you talk about your parents getting divorced. Um, the millennials are, are really opposed to divorce. I think that they, they've, they've grown up with selfish parents who, who have this idea of the good divorce, you know, like, Oh yeah, it's good for the kids. If the moms and the dads are happy, but they don't realize that, I mean, those parents didn't realize that most most of those things can be worked out, and yeah. and uh, and and the stability of the kid it should be more important than than uh, your you know fleeting happiness or whatever. Um, uh, but I think your generation, as much as I like to tease you and Amanda for you know mason jar uh, fever, um, I think you're I think I think you're much more intentional about the food that you eat, the 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 places where you. Uh, get it uh, the community yeah. that you build around it um, you know so I think I think the future's in uh, good hands you know if if uh, it's guys like you uh, who are um, you know trying to trying to make make the church more of a of a local uh, personal community so yeah, listen, I, I, I like you so much so I'm just I want you to know like uh, that I'm I'm blessed by your friendship even though i haven't seen you and you never come over and all that stuff um but uh it's been fun to watch you grow as a man uh Mm -hmm. and uh and i and i and i really uh i i've enjoyed i you know part of it i think the the vanity in me is I, i like it when somebody likes what i have to say you know um but i think that uh you know i've 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 you've been very responsive to any little bits of uh, wisdom that I've kind of garnered over the years. And, and uh, that makes me, uh, you know, more mindful of like, you know, I've got to, I've got to be collecting these things and also living them out myself so that it's not just idle chat, you know, anyway, um, I have to go to work, which is exciting. So thank you so much, Ryan, for, uh, for coming and uh and i'll have you on again sometime but you're a big deal because you're the 10th you're the 10th one you're you're <laughs> uh so oh the other thing about us is that we have this donkey thing 
that we both like donkeys because of Jose Maria Escriva. But you know, the I think it's a uh, the tenth commandment is like you shall not covet your neighbor's donkey, right? That's like <laughs> that's that's the that's the one commandment that nobody nobody breaks except for you and me, I think. Uh, but anyway, so it's a big deal that you're number ten, Ryan X. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for being on here. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Uh, you too. God bless you. Love yeah. your family. Ciao. Bye. And there you have it, folks. Ryan Ayala. I hope you like him as much as I did. There are so many things I didn't get to talk to him about because I had to go, pressed for time and all that. But uh, I'll have him back. And I'll put a link to his woodwork in the show notes so you can see some of the things that we didn't get to talk about. He's a very impressive person, and I'm proud of him. Uh, thanks for coming back after our week off. I hope you had a good Easter with your family. I did. It was a very good Easter, as a matter of fact. We went to Mass in our living room, and we were all late, believe it or not. I can't get over that. I don't know what the deal is. Anyway, pray for us. We'll pray for you. And uh, everybody in the world should know that there's also a new brother-in-law in my family. My sister got married a couple weeks back, so pray for them. They are the Hex. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird name. Oh, well. Uh, love. What are you going to do? Ciao. But you know that already. says you've listened to all, because you binge-watched all my shows uh, last night, right? Yeah, that guy, uh, what was his name? Rick? What was his name? Uh, no, not Rick. Uh, uh, what's his name? Let's see here. Andrew? Centrella? Uh, yeah. The second episode with the crazy story? No, the episode with, about where you kind of go off on, not go off, where you talk about Oh, crazy. oh, oh, Mark, yeah, yeah. Mark. Oh, you sound like a hair dog. <laughs> Mark, 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 Mark. <laughs>